0: This morning's text is from Mark chapter 12. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that, he answered them, well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Our kids can be dismissed. There's programming down the hall for them. And to the rest of you, welcome. We are glad that you are here at Community Christian Church at the 9 o'clock service. And I am so thankful for the team that we have here. I think they are the best in the world. And, um, yep, they really are. Uh, I haven't been sick in a gazillion years, uh, but I had a little bug last Sunday, and I was able to call and say, hey, I'm sorry, I'm scrambling the eggs. And they said, we love scrambled eggs. And uh, they pulled off the morning, and it was great, and so thank you, and uh, uh, tell them thank you, you know? Um, we just really do have the best staff ever, and uh, I appreciate them. In our text, uh, Mark 12 starts in verse 28, and a scribe comes to Jesus with a question. It was a question that was commonly debated in rabbinic schools of the day, and his profession as a scribe, what he was to do is he was, his job was to interpret the law that was found in the books of Moses. His job was to then give practical applications of all of its rules and regulations, and what he had just witnessed Jesus do before this text that we had just read was he, he gave some Sadducees, some other religious leaders, an answer that made them squirm a little bit, and made him think, and so he reasoned that Jesus was now the right person to talk to about the one question that concerned him the most. In Judaism, there was a tendency on one hand to expand the law limitlessly into hundreds and even thousands of rules and regulations. And so if we take just one of those rules and regulations that is actually found in the Ten Commandments, we take the Sabbath day, it's the day of rest, uh, the command is to keep the Sabbath, don't do any work on the Sabbath, keep it holy, that's the command. If, if this is the example, then that one command was saddled with limitless and endless regulations so that everyone would then, in fact, keep the Sabbath. And so it went to these kind of ridiculous depths. Uh, the, The religious leaders of the day taught that on the Sabbath, you can only butter your toast on one side. If you butter your toast on two sides, then you've done work and you haven't rested on the Sabbath. Okay, And those are the kinds of rules and regulations that crept up around all these laws, and they were really that crazy. But on the other hand, there was also an attempt in Judaism to take all of these rules and regulations that had cropped up and try to gather them back to one comprehensive sentence, maybe kind of a a theory of everything, if you will right? Is there one general statement that can be made that would tie all of the whole law along with all of its rules and regulations all together in one unifying single command? And so this is the question that the scribe asks Jesus in verse 28. He says, what kind of commandment is first among them all? Now, you should probably know that there were 613 individual commands in the Mosaic Law. Like, when you read the Old Testament, there are 613 individual commands, not to mention all of those rules and regulations that popped up all around them. And this scribe is asking, of all of those, Jesus, which one do you think is most important? Now, the question was not a debate about which commands could be obeyed and which could not be obeyed and, and could be ignored. That's not the question. All 613 laws had to be obeyed. The question was about which of the commands would be the best summary statement for all of the other commands. And every respectable rabbi in the first century had his crack at the answer. There was a guy named Hillel that was a prominent rabbi in the first century, and he replied to the question this way. He said, what you hate, do not do to your neighbor. He said, that's the whole law. All the rest is commentary. Go and learn. And so Jesus, when he gets this same question that all the respectable rabbis uh, take a crack at, he, he answers it first by turning to the beginning of the Shema. The Shema, the, it's a Jewish creed of sorts. Uh, Orthodox Jews to this very day say the Shema twice a day. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4, and 5. It starts this way, hear, O Israel. And that word here is where we get the word Shema. That's, that's the, the Hebrew behind the word here. It just means, listen up. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And so Jesus takes that Shema that they were cited twice a day. And he says that the supreme command that encapsulates all the others is to love God with the whole of your heart. It means all of your feelings. And to love God with the whole of your soul. It it means all of your energy and all of your passions. And to love God with the whole of your mind, it means your will, and then the whole of your strength, it means whatever resources are at your disposal, use them to love God. But Jesus doesn't stop there. It's not just about one command. There's, a, there's actually a second command that is also important, and he pulls this from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, and it says this, love your neighbor as yourself. And the thing that is so radical that Jesus does here is that he says it's not just one law that encompasses all the others. It's actually two laws that encompass all the others. And look what he says in verse 31. He says, there is no other commandment. You grammar nerds out there, is that singular or plural? Say singular. Yes. Good job. It's been a while for some of you that, you know, wow. Okay. Uh, uh, there is no other commandment, singular, greater than these, singular or plural. Plural, there you go. We showed up. We are back in English class. Wonderful. There is no other commandment, singular, greater than these, plural. That's not how grammar should work, right? One command from two laws, and that's what Jesus does here that no one has ever done before. Love God? Absolutely. That is the greatest Command, love your neighbor, yes, that's the greatest command, but Jesus takes them both and smashes them together and says, there is one great command that encompasses all 613 other ones, and it is this, to love God, which is also to love your neighbor. And that's the all-encompassing one command that unifies all the others, and that was something that was revolutionary. The implications of that are, are many. Um, let me just give you a, a, a few. Number one, in this little greatest command that he gives, he summarizes all of the Ten Commandments. If you go back and, and, and you look through the Ten Commandments that God gives in, in Exodus to his people, he says, keep these. The first four commandments are about loving him. The next six commandments are about loving each other. And so what has Jesus done here? He's, he's made us a way to keep all of the Ten Commandments with just one line. Number two, he teaches us that love for God and love for other people cannot be divided. Your, your love for your neighbor springs from your love for God. Your love for God is empty without your love for your neighbor. Here's number three, that Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself gives us a whole New immovable standard of love, and there's a whole sermon that we could do just on this, but it, it let me summarize it really quickly. Des, despite our failings in life, here's what I know is true about you and me we still love ourselves, we still take care of ourselves, we still we, we're still okay with ourselves, right? We still take care of ourselves when our actions. Uh, go wrong, when we make bad decisions, when we have mental brokenness, it doesn't matter. We still love ourselves enough to take care of ourselves. And just like that, Jesus says, in the same way you should over, in the same way you overlook all the junk in your own life and continue loving yourself, apply that same thinking to other people, to your neighbors, so that you love them too. Now, because, because these two loves, God and people, cannot be separated. What Jesus is really showing us how to do, is how to love God. We're told all the time, love God. And if we're supposed to love God, then how do we do that? I mean, if you take it down to a human level, if you love a person, how do you do that? Well, you show love to a person in a variety of ways, right? Maybe you give them a hug. Maybe you send them a card on their birthday, Maybe you show up to their performance. Maybe you listen when they're down. Maybe you look them in the eyes and you say, I love you. In all of those ways, you show love to another person. But we can't do any of those things with God, can we? There's no elevator we can take up to heaven to give God a hug. We can't really do that. And so how do we love God? And let's spend a moment on number two today. That's our focus. Jesus teaches that loving God is only possible by enacting care for our neighbor. Loving God is accomplished by engaging in the art of neighboring. That's, that's what we're going to spend a couple, of three weeks on here. Now, for them, in the first century, that was a radical idea. It's not so much for us, because it's been said now for 2,000 years, right? Love your neighbor, And our tendency is to walk away from this command to love our neighbor with like a a metaphorical idea of what our neighbor really is and who our neighbors really are. Our neighbor, we might surmise, is anybody that we meet, whoever we meet. We, We might say it this way, everyone is my neighbor. Now, is that true? Yeah. I mean, there are people at work that are your neighbor, right? There are people... On, on the softball team that your teammates with that are your neighbor. There are people that you run into at Walmart that are your neighbor. They're all our neighbors for sure. But what if we only define neighbor in terms of the people who are around us by chance? Then here's what might happen. We might take those largely nameless and, namely and faceless people and we might miss the lesson that Jesus is trying to drive home. We could say it this way. If we insist that we're neighbors with everybody, then the likelihood is that we'll be neighbors with nobody. That's just our human nature. And so what if, what if in this command that Jesus is giving us, he is assuming that we should interpret the word neighbors to mean our actual, literal, flesh and blood, people who live right next door, neighbors? What if? There were some cards on the pews as you came in today, and if uh, I'd like you to grab one of those. And if the, if you, they're not any, if they're they're not still there, there are some back on these tables here, and uh, it should look something like this. We we made it a little different than that, but this is a a quick test, and I want to. Uh, Um, Just give you fair warning, this might hurt a little bit. Uh, We we did this a couple years ago. I'm bringing it back for this series. Uh, It's been done with hundreds of churches and thousands of people, and many jokingly refer to this as the chart of shame. Okay. So going in, you know, this is not going to go well for you. All right. And if it's convicting, then that's probably a good thing. It's not meant to shame anybody. It's just meant to bring the great commandment of being a neighbor into a real world context. And so we're going to take the neighbor test today. And if you don't have a card uh, that you can physically write on uh, because there wasn't one left in your pew, you can do this in your head and then grab a card on the way out. That will be important, okay? So the be- beginning here is the middle box is your house. That's you, okay? All the other boxes around that middle box represent the eight houses and households around you. Households God has put you in the middle of. Now, maybe you don't live on a literal block uh, that looks like a tic-tac-toe board. Maybe uh, you live in an apartment or a cul-de-sac or a rural lot or something like that. It doesn't matter. Uh, just figure out the, the locations of your eight closest neighbors, however they're situated. And this is your block map, okay? That's what we're going to call this. And each, In each box, th- here's the goal, write Three things. Number one, the names of the people in that house. Number two, below the surface info, meaning things that you cannot, that you can't see from your driveway. Like, you know that she drives a red car, right? Uh, let's go a little deeper than that. Maybe she grew up in Idaho and her father fought in World War II, okay? Those kind of issues, below the surface if issues. And then number three, deep information, uh, Anything that has to do with the purpose of their lives, career plans, uh, starting a family, maybe motives, uh, why did they choose the, the career that they chose, what do they fear, why do, what do they believe about God, anything meaningful that you've gleaned by interacting with them, okay? And Chad, I didn't give you a heads up, but we have some music that we can play for 30 seconds here. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give you 30 seconds. We're going to play you some traveling music, okay? And I want you to go... Uh, Fill out your block map. Ready, set, go. I feel it in my bones, you're about to move. I feel it in the wind, you're about to ride. In. You said that you will pour your spirit out. You said that you will fall on sons and daughters. So. You Okay, we got through a verse there, Chad. Kill the music. And how did you do? How did you do? I know that maybe you're not done, but uh, uh, how did you? How many of you could name all eight of your neighbors? There are some. Congratulations. That's typically like uh, about usually less than 10% of us uh, get that right. I saw some hands go up there. About three of us, uh, 3% of us, can fill out uh, the second item for every home, something a little underneath the surface, you know, uh, she came from uh, Idaho or her dad was in the World War II, whatever, and a fraction of a fraction of us can list all three things for every home. Now let's let's just step back from that, whether you did it in your head or on, on paper there, what does that mean? Jesus said to love our neighbors. He said to love our actual neighbors. And how can we do that if 90% of us don't even know their names? I told you it was the chart of shame, right? (laughs) In a bigger city not too long ago, there was a group of 20 lead ministers that got together and uh, they, they were talking about how they could best serve their community. And so they They decided they needed to invite some city officials, and the local mayor decided to join in. And he came and sat in the middle of them, and they just asked him a simple question. How can we as churches best work together to serve our city? And the ensuing discussion went about like you think it would go. It revealed a laundry list of social problems that were prevalent in that city, uh, similar to what many cities face, uh, at-risk kids, areas with dilapidated housing, child hunger, drug and alcohol abuse, loneliness, elderly shut-ins with no one to look in on them, and, and the list goes on and on and on, right? And they discussed the list, and they came to grips with this immense challenge that they had in front of them, how can we help to solve some of these issues, and the weight was just heavy in the room, And after the time of discussion, the mayor was actually kind of on his way out. They had just concluded, and he kind of nonchalantly said something as he was going out. He said, you know, the majority of our issues would be eliminated in our city, I think, or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. He said that people see problems in our city. And usually their first response is to go to a city official or, or something like that and, and say, this has become a serious issue. You should start a program to address this issue. And, and the mayor said what we all know, that government programs aren't always the most effective way to address social issues. He said relationships are more effective than programs because they're organic and ongoing when neighbors are in relationship with one another, the elderly shut-in gets cared for by the person next door. The at-risk kid gets mentored by a dad who lives down the block, and, and the leaky roof gets fixed by a group of people doing what somebody cannot do for themselves. And so the mayor had his time and, and left the room, and just after he left, one of the church leaders kind of blurted out to the rest. He said, am I the only one here that is a little embarrassed? He said, here we are asking the mayor to come in and tell us how we can best serve the city. And he basically tells us that it would just be great if we could get our people in our churches to obey the second half of the great commandment. The question today is, could it be that simple? What if we could change our town? What if we could change our world? And, and what if all it took was every one of us who actually believe in Jesus to actually follow his teaching and love our neighbors? If our exercise reveals anything to us, it's probably that we're not doing the art of neighboring very well. We're really not as good at loving our real-life neighbors as we thought. And, and that that hurts, right? And I told you it would. Uh, But we don't want to shy away from that reality. But let's lean in and determine to get a little better at loving our neighbors. And I want to give you a strategy today, and we'll use this for the next couple of weeks, um, a strategy to get better. Anytime that you start something new, there's always going to be awkwardness and strangeness in the beginning. Pick up a a pickleball paddle when you've never played, and that's going to be weird for a while, okay? Uh, Maybe you want to learn line dancing, and you've never done that. That's going to be weird for a while. Maybe you want to learn to cook. Anything worth doing well is worth doing poorly until you get good at it. And so, neighboring. Let's lean into the process and make some effort. And we won't get it right right away, but we'll get better at it along the way. And here's the framework for becoming a better neighbor. It's just three words. Stranger leads to acquaintances, leads to relationships. That's it. Probably, the people that you don't know by name, we're just going to call them strangers. Okay? Maybe these are people that you've waved to in your neighborhood. Maybe you know uh, that he works at Walmart and she's a teacher, but that's really about it, about you know The bottom line is, if you, if you don't know their name, you really don't know them. And so here's the first step to taking the great commandment seriously. The first step to move from stranger to acquaintance with the people that live nearest to you, the first step is just this, very simple, learn their name. Learn their name. One of the um, essential ingredients to the secret sauce around here, if there is such a thing, is that every week, every week, we have a little huddle with with the people that are serving in different corners of the church. uh, And we have a little huddle right here. And we gather around and we say the same thing every week. And we've been doing this for uh, over a year now. We say, when people walk through that door, use their name. Use their name. And if you don't know their name, uh, try to learn their name. You know? And we don't get that right all the time, but that's the goal. Use people's names. And when they come through that door, anticipate their needs. Maybe they need a door hold, held open for them or, or direction somewhere or just dialogue with them. Maybe that's what they need. And when they go out those doors, use their name again. Use their name again. And we say this, people will know how much God loves them by how well we serve them. And guess what? That secret sauce works everywhere, not just here at church, right? We ask our team every Sunday to do that. And what what I am asking our collective congregation now to do is to go out these doors and use that same idea out in our city, in our town. Would you just start with using somebody's name. Why are we doing this? Because it's the simplest first step that we can use to communicate to people that they're known, that they're seen, that they're valuable, and that they're loved. Just learn their name. Now let's, let's uh, dig down a little more. Let me give you one more step to go along this with, uh, with this. Take a walk around your block with this as the goal. Uh, walking will become actually a Keystone activity for us in the coming weeks and months, and you'll learn all about that as we go through this series and even in our, into our next series. But for now, for this week, would you just get outside your door, just, just for a few minutes, even, and walk somewhere around the block, maybe, and just see if there are people out there to meet. And if there are, grab their name and write it down. Oh, man, why? Some of you are like me. I have problems with names. And as I mentally go through an exercise like this, I I think about how many people that I've met before, but I can't remember their names. Sometimes I've met people multiple times, and I can't recall their name. And if that's you, if you're like me, here's the plan. Just say to somebody, hey, I'm Dusty, and I know we've met before. You've told me your name, but I'm not great with names, and I've forgotten it what is it? Or maybe this. You know, we have wave at each other all the time. Uh, but I realized the other day that I actually don't know your name. My name's Dusty. There it is. And then here's the most important step after you get that name. Write it down. Write it down. Hang it on your block map on your refrigerator so you can eventually fill in all of those spaces. And it may not seem big, but it will be Because every time you reach in that refrigerator for carrots, your neighbor's names are going to be there in front of your face as well as the spaces that haven't been filled in yet. And it's a consistent reminder of your need to introduce yourself to those neighbors that you haven't yet met. met. The, the, The block map will help you to remember names and it will become a helpful tool to help you measure whether or not you are at least acquaintances with the people that God has placed around you. Now, once you, once you learn a name, uh, you've gone from stranger to now acquaintance. And that's the first step. And there are more steps. We're going to talk about those uh, in future weeks. Jesus didn't call us just to become acquaintances with people. He called us to love them, right? And that, that means we have to have actual relationships. But we will never be able to have a, even a discussion about a relationship until we take that first step and just learn somebody's name. And so, would you do that? As I've spent time thinking through what Jesus meant in this text, we call the Great Commandment, I've, I've come to learn, believe more and more that Jesus was a genius. And that, that sounds like an incredibly obvious thing to say on one hand, duh. Like, he's, he's God, Dusty. He might, he's probably a genius. And yet, I'm not sure that we always frame it up that way when it comes to Jesus in our, in our minds, Did we frame him up as a genius? And yet he was. And here's why I think so. Right now in our world, we know everything about which we can do nothing. And we know nothing about which we can do everything. Let me explain that. Right now in our world, we know about a place named Wuhan, China. It was just a couple years ago, and none of us knew that that place even existed. In the last few weeks, we've come to know as a collective society what CPI is and what the reverse repo market is and the debt ceiling and fractional reserve banking and inverted yield curves and the BTFD program. Why do we know all of this? You didn't take an econ course this semester, and yet all of those terms are in your collective conscious, right? Here's what we know. We know that a guy named Elon launched a rocket, named Starship, and that it had failed boosters, and that thousands of people who have never really taken even a basic chemistry class are now chirping about how Elon's engineers could have built it better. Here's what we know. We know that in the last couple weeks, Drake and The Weeknd have a new song that neither of them know about. Uh, Artificial intelligence produced this song in seconds, It simulated their voices and their styles and their lyrics perfectly, and it pushed this made-up song out into the world. What's the point? We know about these things. Never in history have we had so much information at our eyelashes. See, in the past we may have heard about Starship. Maybe in the past we heard that it launched. Maybe Maybe in the past we hear that there are problems, but never in a million years in the past would we have known what those problems were until long after the event had taken place. But now now we know immediately what the problem is. We can post a frame of video of Starship at the escape velocity, while the boosters are actually separating, and we can draw a line to point to where the, we think there was a failure, and we're not doing this from some lab. We're doing it from our couch. And then we're posting it on social media with the comment, Elon's starship launched on 420, and then it went up in smoke. The jokes write themselves, if you, if you let Just think about that for a while. Never have we had so much information. All of those things, most most of us, we know so much about them, and we have all these opinions about all of those things, and we might even have a solution worked up because we read a book once, right? But ultimately, we can't do much about those things that we know so much about. And Jesus is telling us here, there is something about which we can do everything. You have absolute control and power to change the story when it comes to your neighbors. The actual flesh and blood people that you rub shoulders with in this life. But too many of us, and I am the chief of sinners here, haven't ever taken the time to know our actual neighbors' names. And we're caught in a trap. We're giving our attention to all the things we can't do anything about and at the same time, we're neglecting the things that we can do something about and probably none of us in this room will ever be given a platform to shape history and yet everyone in this room has an opportunity every day to shape the world around us, to make it a better place. Paying attention to who is around you and loving God by loving them is how the world will be repaired, and that's what Jesus commands us to do. Simple. There was a guy that said, simplicity is the trademark of genius. And this idea, fixing the world by loving our neighbors, it couldn't be more simple. Jesus is a genius. There was a window of time that I think uh, I was on Uh, a right trajectory to to make progress in this neighboring thing. It was during COVID, and we all, if we we go back there, we were all operating a little differently, and we were living lives in ways that we hadn't lived them before. And so one of the ways that Amy and I kind of lived differently is we started walking a lot more. We walked our dogs, uh, and our dogs loved it. And more people than ever were walking their dogs around us because that's something that we could all do. We, we all got outside, and as we walked, we found other people in our neighborhood outside as well. That people would be sitting on their porches while we walked, and it made it actually pretty simple to actually meet our neighbors. And, and we met Joe, who moved here from California. We met Gary, who needed some work on his front door, and we steered him to the right guy. And we met, uh, we, we passed Kim's house one night, and we were walking enough every day to know that Kim was on vacation and we saw a package had been left on her porch and so, so we gave her a call and sure enough she had told her son to go get the package he forgot and it was there and then one night we passed a house where a couple would be sitting out on their screen porch and we would always wave at them and this night we could tell something was off and it was just, just him on the porch and instead of just waving back to us this time, he, he actually came out and he told us that his wife had just been hospitalized. He was, he was absolutely distraught. We didn't know him really well, uh, but we said, can we pray for you? By the way, I've never, ever in my life had somebody say no to that. Can I pray for you? Never once. And we prayed for him and his wife and That led us to begin to to pray for all of those neighbors that we met, asking God to bless them and that we would be part of that blessing by being good neighbors. And then, COVID faded away. And so did our walks. And now our dogs are more mad at us than anything. And uh, we have lost touch with our neighbors around us. And there's really no reason other than we haven't kept front and center in our hearts the greatest command that Jesus ever gave. The great command is this, love God by loving your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't mean to love your neighbors instead of yourself. It means to show people around you the same respect and care that you would show for yourself. Would I call would I want somebody to call me about the box on the porch? that I had forgotten about before it got stolen? Absolutely, then do that. Would I appreciate somebody pointing me to a resource that could fix my broken front door? Absolutely, then do that. Would I want someone to offer to pray to the God of the universe on my behalf? Absolutely, there's no question. Then do that. Love your neighbor as yourself. If everyone simply caught on to that one little Concept hidden in this one little text, all the world's problems could be solved overnight. I do believe that. Changing the world could really happen if we just simply commit to loving our neighbors as ourselves. Let me give you, as we close here, two action steps for this week. The first action step is this there's a map in the foyer, and maybe you uh, saw it on the way in. It's our art of neighboring map. And over the next several months, actually, it's going to help us tremendously. And the way we begin is to simply put a pin on the map where you live. That's all. That's all we're asking. Grab a pin out of the little bowl, put it on the map where you live, and that's going to become an incredible resource for us for what's coming down the line. So put a a map, a, a, a pin in the in the place where you live on the map some of you uh are from the surrounding areas or the surrounding county uh there we did our best to include a lot of areas and if you're by chance not included there's a qr code that we can we can figure it out okay here's number two take the next step with each of your immediate neighbors and begin learning their names take a walk this week knock on a door uh Talk to somebody that's outside. When, when you learn a name, write it down on your block mac, map and hang it on your refrigerator or hang it by the back door or maybe right in the middle of your TV screen. I think that's where mine needs to go. Maybe make it a lock screen on your phone. Put it somewhere where you'll see it all the time and then work at filling it in. That's the starting point. That's how strangers turn into acquaintances and that's how relationships get formed Later on, will you form a relationship with everyone around you? Well, maybe, but probably not. Um, But here's what I do know. If we don't take Jesus' command seriously, I know what we will have, and that is neighborhoods full of strangers. And neighborhoods full of strangers don't change our town. It doesn't make our world the kind of place that God had in mind. And so go meet your neighbors, learn their names. That's the first step to loving God with everything that you have. And it's a long-term project. Know that. Um, For reasons that will become clear in the the coming weeks, we will stick with this a while. But right away, there's no need to wait. Go learn some names and write them down. You cannot love your neighbor without also loving God. And you can't love God without loving your neighbor. In five or ten years from now, maybe we can look back And if we can say that we took seriously the great command of Jesus to become better neighbors during this little window of time that we have, then what we also get to say is that we loved God. Because the two are one. Will you join in as we commit to love God and love other people? God, we thank you for this challenge that can literally turn the world upside down. And it's so simple. There's nothing preventing us from learning a name. Would you help us to do that this week? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say